I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thank you for listening to More Christianity. More Christianity is the book I've written to share the Catholic faith with evangelical Christians. And so we go through the different doctrines of the Catholic faith and explain them to evangelicals in a friendly way, not saying we're right, you're wrong, but affirming everything which is good about their sincere devotion to Jesus Christ, but summoning them to come further up and further in and to share in the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. More Christianity is available to purchase from my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Go there and look for that and take a minute to browse my other books as well. And now, let's get started with more Christianity. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where every week we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I'm convinced that our Catholic faith offers us more than just a place to go on Sundays for an hour, but also we have the riches of the faith through art, music, architecture, literature, through the various different apostolates of people who are involved living out their faith in the world, using their talents, their God-given abilities to proclaim the faith, to live the faith to a needy generation and a needy world. Today, my guest is Michael O'Brien. He's a well-known author of Father Elijah and numerous other novels, also an artist. And Michael, welcome to More Christianity. Thank you, Father. It's good to be with you. Michael, a lot of listeners will be interested in how a novelist actually gets started. I'm sure that there are a lot of budding novelists out there. How did you get going with your writing career? How did you get started? Well, it came as a total surprise to me. I've never studied writing, never went to university. But I've always loved to read. But I'm primarily a painter of religious imagery. More than 40 years, I've raised my family by commission work for churches and universities and private individuals. But I see myself as a religious artist, a Christian artist. Oh, in the late 1970s, this story just sprang into my mind, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. Certainly didn't think of myself as a writer. But I thought, well, it just won't go away. So I wrote it down. And that was a novel which eventually became A Cry of Stone, published many, many years later. I did it as an exercise and then put it on a shelf and uh, gathered dust for many years. And then in the mid-1990s, I was praying before the Blessed Sacrament in our local parish church and feeling uh, very grieved over the condition of the church in my country, Canada, uh, also trying to raise a large family and also in the milieu, the environment, social and political environment, that was increasingly anti-life. So it was getting extremely difficult. And I was quite discouraged at the time and was praying to the Lord, saying, I'm finished. I'm totally finished, Lord. There is no hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, quite deep anguish. and Saw no, no way out, no future. And the Lord, in His great mercy, just poured out this, supernatural peace. I had said to him in prayer, this place is a desolation. Your church in this land is becoming a desolation. And with this supernatural peace, which came in in response to that, I also was prompted to open the sacred scripture, and my eyes fell on a passage. I think it's in one of the wisdom books, in, in which the Lord says, in this place of desolation, I will give fruitfulness. 
And I thought, well, that, that's that. Thank you, God. A moment later, into my imagination, there flooded the entire story, almost the entire story of Father Elijah. Mm-hmm. It was a total surprise. I, it was like watching a movie in my mind as I knelt there praying. It didn't come from my imagination. So I wrote down that novel, about a year writing it, and I put it on the shelf too. I thought there's no way this will ever be published, but maybe, maybe my grandchildren will read it. About 1995, Ignatius Press contacted me because they'd seen a little booklet of my rosary paintings, and they asked me if I'd written anything else. And I said, well, yes, I have, but you wouldn't be interested. And they said, well, we might. I said, it's a novel, and you don't publish novels. Send it to us anyway. To make a long story a tiny bit shorter, I did send it. This was Father Elijah, and it was published the following year, the first of 10 novels that they've published. You know, it, it really was a tremendous lesson for me never to think it's all over. There is always hope, and God is always at work. This is a fascinating tale, especially when so many people are struggling to perhaps break into the writing profession, trying to get a first book published or trying to network through and get an agent and get a publisher and find a way to get their work out there. And you sound like a most reluctant of novelists, Michael. That <laughs> I think of myself as an accidental novelist. <laughs> an accidental I, novelist. I, I, I don't have a, a networking bone in my body. I could not make anything that's happened. God gave you this novel, in a sense, gave you the story. He obviously gave you a wonderful imagination and also which you've been able to dedicate to his glory. And Father Elijah was then published by Ignatius Press, and uh, they obviously took a bit of a risk in your first novel. And Father Elijah caught people's imagination. What kind of uh, response have you got? Do you get a lot of interest from people? Yes, continuously. It's almost 16 years later. It just has been a constant stream of response. It's a flawed work in in terms of literary style. I mean, I write better now than I did then. But I think the essential story contains truths that touch people on some very deep level. So I receive constant letters still all these years later, a lot of emails now, and there's a wide spectrum of response. People of all Christian faith, on occasion, a non-believer, I've been very moved to to receive many letters from people saying the novel was used by the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to help them return to the Church, mm-hmm. too. For our listeners who are unfamiliar, Father Elijah has the subtitle on Apocalypse, and it's the story of a Jewish Holocaust survivor named David Schaefer. He converts to Catholicism, becomes a Carmelite priest, and takes the name Father Elijah. And the novel includes depictions of the prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, who people say resembles Joseph Ratzinger, eventually Pope Benedict XVI, and also a pope who they say resembles Pope John Paul II. And this fictional pope takes Father Elijah and gives him a secret mission to confront the Antichrist and bring him to repentance and thus postpone the Great Tribulation. So this work that you've produced about the apocalypse, about the end times, you say you've had a lot of interest from Protestants and from evangelicals. One of the things there, of course, is that in their world, in the evangelical world, there's been a hugely successful series of novels called the Left Behind series, which also uh, is apocalyptic and and confronts the end times. Have you had people comparing your work to the uh, Left Behind series? Yes, that comparison does come up from time to time, and I find it a a painful one because a lot of fundamentalist end times prophecy is really not what we as Christians should be doing. It tends to be 
predicting the future, analyzing the book of Revelation and current events, I think in a very subjective way. The true Catholic vision should be one that is sustained in every generation. And in the words of our Lord, he says, stay awake and watch. So in my novels, I'm very different from a lot of Protestant end times fiction writers, in that I don't try to predict the future. I try to raise questions. I hope that my stories will evoke in my readers crucial questions which every generation should be asking itself. Are we awake? If it turns out these are the end times towards which the prophets were pointing, Jesus was pointing, are we prepared? So the work that you're producing is actually thought-provoking, trying to get people to ask the right questions, but not necessarily giving them all of the answers and trying to predict and foretell the, the future events. In that way, your work, Father Elijah, while you claim that you definitely were given some insights towards writing the, the story, this is not divinely inspired prophecy, and you're not, you're not claiming that this is uh, foretelling the future in some unshakable way, and that's important to remind our listeners. One of the themes which comes through in your work is this apocalyptic strand and your understanding of reading the times now and being able to see where we're headed if we don't change. This is the theme of the Father Elijah stories. Now, your latest novel is called Voyage to Alpha Centauri. Have you launched now into science fiction? Well, uh, it is a science fiction novel, but I, I would say I've returned to Earth, Father, and I'm going to stay here. It was something that just caught my imagination a few years ago. I've always been fascinated by not just astronomy, but by the element in our human nature that is always yearning for something that is beyond the purely material world. And I think God our Father wrote that into our natures, in our natural law, that we're created for paradise. In the modern age, enormous tsunami of science fiction and technology fiction, I think, are symptomatic of the human hunger for transcendence, for our true home in the heavens. So I was intrigued by the concept of why so many people are hooked on UFO speculation. What is it really within us that we're looking for? I think we are looking for the true home for which we were created. But it's not out there in the stars. It's beyond the universe. You're listening to More Christianity. This is Father Dwight Longenecker, and my guest today is Michael O'Brien, the author of the well-known book Father Elijah, also the author of Plague Journal, A Cry of Stone, Sophia House, Winter Tales, A Father's Tale, and now, most recently, Voyage to Alpha Centauri. Michael, you mentioned a moment ago a very interesting and intriguing idea that the modern fascination with science fiction, technology fiction, and I might also add superhero stories, as well as fantasy novels and fantasy films. You're saying that this indicates to you a longing in the human heart for transcendence, for something which takes us out of this world. How successful do you think those different kinds of stories are at doing that? Do they help people to search for God and for the transcendent, or do you think these things can actually hinder the search? I think they point us in the wrong directions. If you follow the new science fiction, the superhero phenomenon, what you find is a common thread running through it all, and it is partially good in that we do need heroes. However, the nature of modern heroism, at least as it's portrayed in fiction and film and television, is 
depositing a kind of godlike power or near angelic power, some of which does not rightly belong to man, especially when there's supernatural or preternatural elements woven into the plot and characterization. I think these are symptoms of a, of a very deep angst, anxiety in the root of modern man. So the solutions that the overwhelming majority of the new fiction and new film is giving are skewed. For one thing, power will save us, knowledge will save us, and that's usually woven into some elements of sin. The heroes are generally sinful. There's a couple of exceptions. I personally like Spider-Man pretty much, but he's a natural human being. These superheroes and fantasy stories In many ways, they help us to identify with the hero's quest, as you've said, to search for meaning, to engage in the fight between good and evil. But you're right that an awful lot of the stories, the movies and so forth, they lack this dimension of grace. Now, there are some of them that you've acknowledged, Spider-Man, Batman to a certain extent, and some of the others, where there is a very intriguing interplay where there is a struggle with grace, there's a struggle with the characters yielding to, to a greater power and something that's working within them. So the way art deals with these things is always ambiguous. It's, it's meant to be ambiguous, and very often it's meant to ask questions and not to give all of the answers. But one of the other things which intrigues me in this whole phenomenon of comic books, superheroes, fantasy films, uh, science fiction films, and science fiction heroes, as you said, is the heroes achieve a an almost godlike quality. Indeed, Thor, who's one of the superheroes, is actually a pagan god who comes to Earth. And in this way, it's strange that in the modern world, this technological world that we have, it's almost as if we're seeing the resurgence of the pagan gods and goddesses of the pagan world, complete with their mythologies, complete with their superpowers, complete with their interactions with human beings. Do you think this is an accurate reflection of what's going on, or am I being a little bit fanciful myself? No, I think you've you've read it very clearly. The deeper question is, why is this happening? You know, is it it hunger in man for something beyond our our normal lives, the so-called ordinary? Or is this um, tsunami, I would call it, the tsunami of invasion of our traditional symbols, our traditional stories, by neo-paganism in a multitude of different forms and formats, does it have a spiritual dimension? I'm just asking the question. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it does. I think sometimes it's pagan ideology at work in many films. Occasionally you will see, as you pointed out with Batman and Spider-Man, there's, there are metaphors of grace, grace working with our human nature to bring about a good, to resist evil. But on the whole, I think you're absolutely right. That's not the norm. The norm is near angelic powers, physical power, psychological power, all these various powers are what save. And that is one of the characteristics of ancient Gnosticism. I believe we're in the midst of really a lowercase g neo-Gnostic mm-hmm. revival. When man no longer knows God or even thinks of seeking God or opening his heart to Christ, what is he then to do? He goes searching for other gods or other religions. I'm Father Dwight Longenek. You're listening to More Christianity. My special guest today is Michael O'Brien, well-known author of the Father Elijah series of novels and his latest book, Voyage to Alpha Centauri. I encourage you to go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com. There you can connect to my blog, which I update daily, 
Also, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter, Faith Works, which gives practical advice on the practice of the Catholic faith. You can browse my books. Uh, you can be in touch. Go to my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Michael, we've been talking about the whole genre of fantasy novels, comic books, superheroes, and how they interrelate with the classic mythology of gods and goddesses in the world today. One of the things which intrigues me about this is here we have popular culture, which every year seems to become more and more obsessed, as you've called it, a tsunami of this kind of literature, science fiction literature, superhero films and movies, super stupendous technology stories, stories like The Matrix, which involve interesting themes of fairy tales and the technology and the supernatural. All of these things are are sweeping our culture. And yet, at the same time, it seems that the examples of Christianity, the expressions of Christianity in our faith, are going in the opposite direction. In other words, our Christian faith in many of the Protestant denominations in the evangelical churches, and I'm afraid to say in an awful lot of the Catholic churches as well, is trying to shed itself of the supernatural, trying to say, oh, you know, we don't deal with all that angels, demons, and exorcisms, miracles type of stuff anymore. We're all about helping people where they are and making religion relevant to their ordinary everyday life. So here we have in our our religious leaders leading us along this path away from the supernatural, away from the transcendent, away from the miraculous, away from the heroic, into a kind of mundane, nitty-gritty, roll-up-your-sleeves-and-let's-just-get-on-with-the-business-of-making-the-world-a-better-place kind of thing. Do you agree that this is bizarre? And maybe, I think it was Chesterton who, who observed that when you do away with the sacraments, the next thing you will have is witchcraft. In other words, when religion is deprived of the supernatural element, it sweeps back in in all these other sub-Christian ways. Again, am I being extremist here, or do you see the same thing happening? I see these are all major trends in modern man, uh, Western man. I always was struck by another saying of Chesterton. He says, when men no longer believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They will then begin to believe in anything. And I think that is where our people are at. They've been, at least subconsciously, most people in the Western world, unless they're fervent Christians, or believers in God and seekers of God, they're practical materialists. Their psychology, their subconscious, the way they live is materialistic. On some level, they have accepted the lie that we're just living in a material universe, and this is pretty much all there is. So many of our religious leaders have really, not explicitly all the time, but, but implicitly, as you've said, adopted a materialistic understanding, a materialistic philosophy about religion, that the faith is really just about meeting together to share fellowship and decide how we're going to make the world a better place. Well, that's not for me. In my writings and in my understanding, religion is the place where we interact with God. It's a transaction is made between the supernatural and the natural. It's the sacraments are this, this meeting place and this, where the door of heaven opens. And um, this is missing in so much of our modern religion and where Catholicism really needs to get its act together and say to a hungry world, this is where we meet God. This is where a transaction is made for your soul's salvation. And this is not simply about learning how to be nicer people. Somebody said modern religion has stopped being a religion and is no more than a set of table manners. <laughs> and so maybe yeah. this is why we see this resurgence in an interest, as, as you say, in the supernatural, the superheroes, and in the transcendent. Now, 
I'm interested also in talking to you, Michael, uh, about the function of literature and storytelling in all of this, because one of the things that you've obviously been so expert at is uh, telling stories, writing novels, also with your painting, trying to use the arts to communicate these important truths. In my most recent book, The Romance of Religion, this is the theme of the whole book, the great stories, the great stories of adventure, the great stories of the saints, the great stories in Scripture— in which people actually do live lives that are engaging day by day with God, engaging day by day with the Holy Spirit and the supernatural. Is this one of the aims of both your art and your your novels, to try to provide windows into the other world? That's very well put. Windows, I hope to achieve in my novels, the telling of stories in such a way that people return to their world, their so-called, quotation marks, ordinary world, with, with new eyes and see see more clearly that existence, our life, is an incredible drama and a, and a beautiful one, it's often full of suffering, but full of great beauty, and that, more importantly, we need to have new eyes to see that God is always at work, divine providence, grace is always flowing, working, but we're blind. And this is one of the roles of the arts, is to awaken within us a sense of truth and beauty, The truth and beauty greatly need each other, and they should be integrated within us. Truth, beauty, and goodness are one of the little holy trinities that God gives us here on earth, which picture the divine truth of the Blessed Trinity, so that these three are woven together. You cannot have truth without goodness and beauty, and you cannot have goodness without truth and beauty, and you can't have beauty without truth and goodness, if I haven't confused everybody. But the three together are working to communicate with our hearts, our minds, and and our bodies to be able to open us up to this deeper dimension. You have done so well with your artwork, which brings a kind of iconic quality, and it's still feeling very modern and very contemporary in the right way. And with your novels, you've captured our imagination How do you think these two art forms, visual art and novels, can actually communicate the specific truths of the Christian faith? Well, they're two different languages, but both these languages, in both these languages, is the same possible path for an artist. In our times, uh, a person who's received creative gifts from God can choose, as he could write, that is true and beautiful and good, but it need not be overtly Christian in themes. That's what I call the implicitly Christian work. Now, the other path is the overtly or explicitly Christian path, and it's a far more difficult path, and far fewer people choose it. But I would say, looking at the Western world in our times, we see almost a dearth, a near absence of overtly Christian work uh, finding its way into the mainstream of contemporary culture. The gifts are being given by God, by the Holy Spirit. They're there. I, I meet young people all the time who've been given phenomenal gifts, but they, they seem to lack a faith that God can open locked gates. They're afraid to pursue the, the explicit path. It's much safer to go the implicit path. Some people are called to that, to paint landscapes or to create music that has no overt evangelical content, and that's a perfectly valid thing to do. But in a healthy society, there should be both, and both should be strong and flowing like two rivers flowing together into a sea. Why do we have this tiny little trickle in the overtly Christian path? 
path of creativity in the modern age. I would say part of it is it's being blocked, it's being ghettoized, it's not allowed to get into the mainstream, at least if it's authentically Christian. The other reason why we're not creating a truly vital Christian culture in any major significant sense is our fear. Many young people fear that they will be poor, they won't have enough to live on, it won't happen, or they think they've got to make it happen all on their own. So these are things which block a true Christian renaissance, and that Christian renaissance is crucial to the new evangelization. And one of the things you've produced, Michael, is your latest book, which is Voyaged Alpha Centauri. I'd like to talk to our listeners about this book for just a moment. Peter Kraft has said that Michael O'Brien is a superior spiritual storyteller worthy to join the ranks of C.S. Lewis, Flannery O'Connor, and so forth. Marvin Olasky, who is the editor-in-chief of World Magazine, praises your novel and says it's a skillful clash of worldviews, and you use this storytelling technique of this, this uh, voyage in a massive spaceship to explore themes of ethics and the range of human possibilities and technology. I'm looking forward to finishing the book. It's a 700-page novel. It's a, it's one that will keep you going for a long time. It's available from Ignatius Press, also on Amazon. So go ahead and check out Mike O'Brien's latest book, Voyage to Alpha Centauri. You've been listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Today, my guest has been Canadian artist and novelist Michael O'Brien, author of Father Elijah and now Voyage to Alpha Centauri. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure and honor. I want to draw your attention to my latest book, The Romance of Religion. The Romance of Religion is published by Thomas Nelson, and it's available at all good booksellers, also through Amazon and through my website, DwightLongenecker.com. In The Romance of Religion, I'm using the word romance not like falling in love and giving your beloved uh, chocolates on Valentine's Day, but instead we're talking about romance as the great story, the great quest, the hero's adventure. And I'm using this idea of the great quest or the hero's adventure as a as a way of discussing the, the need to go on the adventure with Jesus Christ, to step out of our comfort zone, to step out of the fishing boat and walk on the waves, to hear his call, come and follow me and leave your nets and step out on the great risk, the great adventure of following Jesus Christ. The Romance of Religion is the book, and it explores our Christian faith and challenges you to go further and also understand our Christian faith and our Catholic faith in terms of the great adventure. It goes right back through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and uses those stories and shows how all the great heroes of the faith have stepped out, heard the call of God, and gone on the great journey to the Promised Land. Pick it up and share it with others, The Romance of Religion. 